Well, we're in a sermon series on the book of Luke, and today we're heading into chapter 2, which is probably the most famous and familiar Christmas passage in all the Bible. I mean, even the Charlie Brown Christmas television special has Linus reading this great passage, and he's been reading it every year since it first aired in 1965. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. All this great passage is all centered around some good news. But I hope you realize good news can be ignored or just sound like noise. It can be ignored or sound like noise if you're not ready to hear it in the right way. And so what I want to talk about today is that very thing. Because communication involves a speaker and a listener. The good news has already been spoken. So I want us to focus on what you and I need to do to hear it in a way that sounds like good news to us. Here's the first thing I think you need to understand. Number one, you will need to fear God instead of trying to be God. You want to hear this good news and you want it to sound like good news? You'll need to have the right kind of reverential fear of God instead of trying to be God. And I know some of you are pushing back already saying, I don't try to be God. 
Let me help you understand what I'm talking about. Because it all has to do with why the shepherds were so afraid in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. Now think about something. This is pretty common, what I'm about to share. As a little boy in Chattanooga, Tennessee... I would often get afraid at night. Things are under my bed. The closet looks odd. Shadows would come through the window from the street light and do weird things. on. The, I would be convinced someone moved. I heard something. I'm scared. I would often get scared at night and feel better when my parents would leave. What? A light on. Well, give me some light, mama. We've got shepherds. This is very odd. We've got shepherds in the dark in verse 8, getting scared in verse 9. When the night explodes with light. Why? Because it's a certain kind of light. Did you pick up on it as I read it? It's a certain kind of light. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Oh, listen to me. Whenever God gets close to us and reveals his glory to us, we get uncomfortable. Why? Because it exposes us. The glory of God exposes us and reminds us that we are not God. In fact, the glory of God drives home to us that we are creatures created in His image, but we're not God. He's God, and we are not. Now, I hope you're not pushing back too much like, do we get that confused? Yes. There's a creeping tendency. We're created in the image of God, but there's this creeping tendency to assume He thinks just like I do. We're we're just like this. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah. Yeah. We have this creeping tendency that we are equal with God. He should think like me, do what I want. And so there's these times where when we have God draw near and especially reveal more of his glory to us, we're uncomfortable because it exposes us and puts everything back in perspective. And this awareness doesn't just make us mildly uncomfortable. The Greek word at the end of verse 9 there, I know Linus said they were sore afraid. You probably thought, what is wrong with Brad? He didn't read it right. They were sore afraid. Old King James, not great. This is the ESV. They were filled with fear. It is the Greek word, you're gonna, it's going to sound familiar, megaphobic. Phobia, fear. Mega, off the chart, huge Fear. They were not just a little afraid. They were terrified through and through. Because the glory of God exposes our sinfulness, something we try to hide and cover up continually. It exposes our sinfulness because it's the glory of God that frames it up and gives us the right perspective. Oh my goodness, there he is and here I am. And the glory of God reminds us 
of what we're supposed to be living for, what we are actually created to do, live for his glory and not ourselves or something else in this world. We don't like reminders of either of those two things, my sinfulness and what I'm actually supposed to be living for, my sinfulness and what I'm actually supposed to be living for. That's why in the book of Romans, you'll see a connection of God's glory to both these big themes. If you grew up in church, this first one's going to sound super familiar. Romans 3.23. For how many have sinned? All have sinned. How do we know that? And fall short of the what? Glory of God. The glory of God. The glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why Romans chapter 1 verses 21 to 23 talks the way it does. For although they knew God. No human being comes into this world and quickly as they grow and think and interact, decide there's not a God. You say, really, Brad? What about all the atheists? They don't want there to be a God. But the Bible says every human being knows there's a God. Because you're created in God's image and his laws on your heart. You know there's a God. You know there's a God. You just don't want there to be a God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor were thankful. So here's what starts to happen. As the human hard heart doesn't want there to be a God, it sends you down a very dark path. This is what he says next. But they became futile in their thinking. They start looking for and making up evidence that supports. Oh, yeah, see, there's not a God. There's not a God. There's not a God. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. So you were created to live for the glory of God. They exchange it. They take it back to the customer service counter and say, don't want this. I'll take something else. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for Images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. The human heart says, no, no, no. Don't want that. I'll live for something here. Work, family, sex, pleasure, relationships, athletics. You name it. We'll build our worlds around anything in this world. And expect it to fulfill us and say, I don't need God. I don't need God. I don't want to live for that. What's going on? We don't want to live for the glory of God, and so we try. But the human heart needs something big. We're not satisfied. We need something big. So we try to live for something else in this world. We try to build our worlds around something else while we pretend to be God. Let me illustrate it for you this way. So the fact that we don't want to live for the glory of God... And we want to be in the driver's seat, be in control. Be, I don't need God. I can be God. I can, I can get everything I need. I can be everything I need. If you were impersonating a police officer, there's books and movies about this. Catch me if you can. The guy that was trying to pretend he was a pilot. It's amazing to the extent that people can go and really pull it off. Right? Think about it. If you were impersonating a police officer, you're going to be nervous a little bit. As you ride around with your eBay siren and your outfit you found on Craigslist. All right. A little nervous. But if at a coffee shop, a real policeman 
walks up to you and engages you in conversation at close range, what are you going to do? You're going to freak out because you know that they can expose you and see a fake sooner than anybody else. If you're pretending to be a rocket scientist at a party and you're just throwing down some big rocket scientist words that you Googled on the Internet, you're going to be a little nervous. But you're going to be terrified if a real rocket scientist shows up at the party. Why? Because you know that she'll be able to see right through you and might ask you what one of those big words means. Right? Those are just little glimpses, you guys. Little glimpses of what it's like for us to live every day in this world as if you are your own master and can determine your own fate. That's what the human heart wants. Think about how many songs and poems and classic literature and movies are built around this theme, right? You're your own master, captain of your soul. I'm my own master, captain of my soul. I can do and be anything I want to do and be whenever, wherever, whatever. If I go hard enough, I can do it. It's just not true. It's just not true. But oh, the human heart wants to believe that so desperately. And so that's why you'll find that theme all through our culture and literature and music and poetry and songs. But despite any measure of bravado and confidence that you try to exude as you go down this path, you will live with low-level insecurity that turns to panic every time you're faced with God and the glory of God in this world, which is actually quite often. You realize even though this is a fallen, broken, dark, sin-filled world, the presence of God and the glory of God is still evident on a regular basis when you look at the Grand Canyon. When you dig into mathematics and advanced mathematics and start to think, oh my goodness, this all fits together. When you really dig into music like Bach or Beethoven and Mozart and you just think, this is amazing. Why does this, there's order, there's complexity, whether it's astronomy. When you hold a newborn baby, like I have a grandchild. Did you know that? My first. And over the weekend, I had little Jack cradled in the crook of my arm. While my daughter went to Target, I said, sure, I'll keep Jack. Duh. Yes. And you just look at their little ear. You think it's, a, it's, got, it's the total package. It's a real ear, but it's tiny. And you look at his perfect little mouth. Perfect mouth. He's beautiful. And his little fingernails and his cuticles, it's all there. I'm like, oh, my goodness. How did this happen? This is half my daughter and half Ryan. All the time. Whether it's colors, sunsets, landscape, snow, a babbling brook. Even think about how often on a regular basis, something will just flutter within you that you just have this sense. You're starting with something beautiful, whether it's literature or music or color or taste or food or friendship. But you think, what is this connected to? There's, there's more. There's more. C.S. Lewis calls it, everything in this world is simply an echo. It's an echo. Of something greater. It's connected to not something greater. Someone greater. And you know it. 
You know it. It's like, you know, this, this could not have all just randomly happened from an explosion. Every time I read on the news of an explosion, things get worse, not better. You know, I take a tour of a new factory and all these. How'd that happen? We had an explosion. And after the dust settled, we had brand new buildings. And look at the cubicles. And oh, I got a leather chair now. Before I had this plastic thing. Oh, man, explosions are what it's all about. No. Some intelligent, loving Wise, merciful, beautiful, awesome being had to be at the helm to put this in place and keep the earth spinning on its axis at right angle so that we don't freeze to death or burn up and keep the seasons changing like we're seeing right now. You know there's a God. You know there's a God. You know there's a God. But our problem is the human heart goes from I'm in the image of God quickly to I want to be God. And that's the problem. And I'd like to say that as soon as you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that struggle is gone. But it's not true because you still have the flesh. You still wrestle with this tendency to try to be God. Let me help you if you're saying, really, as a Christian? Let me ask you, right now in your life, this year, most of us would agree this year has been horrific, right? Woo! 2020, hard, horrific. But I'd like to propose, call it hard, call it horrific. Don't call it a dark year. I think it was a year of light that exposed just how foolish and rebellious and hateful And broken and confused we are without God in this world. Did it seem like a lot of confusion? Did you see a lot of hate? I mean, has anybody thought after this year, people are basically good. Give them a nice neighborhood and they play nice. Do we play nice? No, we don't play nice. We need God or we would probably kill ourselves. It's been a, so say it this way. It's been a terrifying and clarifying year. I hope as a Christian you're praying, God, show me what I wasn't seeing about me. And God, harvest, harvest, bring people to Jesus Christ who were trusting in the stock market, who were trusting in their career, who were trusting in whatever. And it's all blown up now. It could be an incredible season of harvest for people who didn't think they need it before, saying, now, I, I, I need something else than what's going on in this world. I think I actually need God. But as Christians, we still struggle sometimes trying to get back in the driver's seat. Right now in your life. Are things unraveling and happening in a way that is just driving you Crazy because you cannot control your life or the lives of the ones you love the most. I can't control it, but I want to control it. I can't control it. And if you say, yes, Brad, I'm miserable right now. Then I want you to think about something. Is it because you keep cursing the light instead of submitting to the lesson that God is trying to teach you in that light 
that he is God and you are not. See, even as Christians, here's what we tend to do. Even like, I was little, but there used to be this bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. That's telling. Right? He's not the pilot. He's the co-pilot. I am still in charge. But I love having God in that jump seat. Just in case things go bad. News alert. He's not your co-pilot. He's it. You're, you're back in the luggage area. <laughs> bumping around saying, I don't even know where we're going, but I know he's good. Buckle up. We still want to be, I'm the pilot. And now God's the co-pilot who helped. I know where I want to go. I know what needs to happen. I know what everything's scripted in the lives of my loved ones. Now he's supposed to help me get it. Does it work that way? That's hard for us. That's hard for us. But here's what I want you to think about. As you keep cursing the light of these circumstances and how it's going... I would push you to consider submitting to the God of that light because you will not win a fight with God. He knows you will not win a fight with God. You say, what are you talking about? I'm not fighting with God. Oh, listen to me. When you may have found a way to bully everyone else around you, To get them to do what you want them to do. But you will not win a fight with God. You won't. Because here's what I want you to think about. When you try to be in control and you refuse to trust him and submit to him. You are fighting God for his job. You're fighting God for his job. We tend to think, well, all I'm doing is I'm not trusting God. And that's on me, so I'm not happy and I'm very... It's worse than that. I want, I want to make this worse so that you might actually repent. When you do that, you are not just failing to trust God. You are. You're fighting God for his job. Does that sound uglier? I want it to so that you would repent. And as you repent, you will find such more peace and joy and freedom. And your relationship with him will improve dramatically. Think about it. Why are you so worried about whatever is you're so worried about and fixated on? Think about it right now, whatever it is. Some of you are torn up, losing sleep, wrecking your own health, and destroying relationships of those closest to you because you want everyone else to get as upset as you are. And if they won't, you're mad at them. So it's quiet now. Right? Sometimes like with a husband and wife, he's like, hey, it's going to work out. There's a God. She's like, shut up. How do you do? That's wrong. And then the whole thing is skewed to like, you don't really care about our son. I guess he cares. He's trusting God and so should you. But instead, you're, you're mad at everyone else around you because, again, you're convinced I'm God. I know what everyone should be doing right now. Freak out. So join me in the freak show. Or now I'm mad at you. And I'll put distance between me and you until you get with the agenda. 
Because the thinking is, I need as many people as possible to go freak. Go freak, and maybe God will give in. News alert. He won't. You will not win a fight with God. And your biggest problem is that you're actually fighting God for his job because you think you know better. You want to be in the driver's seat. You think you know exactly how this should be scripted for you and the ones that you love most. What about resentment? Unforgiveness. Oh, how I wish I could tell you that once you become a Christian, it makes sense. You'd be like, oh my goodness, I've been forgiven all sins, past, present, future. Hurt me so I can forgive you. Oh, I'm just ready to forgive. Oh, I want to forgive. I want to forgive. I want to show how I've been forgiven. Is that how it works? I wish. It's like Christians forget you've been forgiven everything. And yet, oh, no, no, I'm not going to forgive her. Are you kidding me? Some of you have been in the grip of a grudge. Oh, and you've lived this way for years now. And here's what happens. Once you decide to not forgive one person, it's almost kind of like toxic on your soul. And quickly you begin to add others, others, others. And you just got this list of all the people who have done you wrong that gets longer and longer and longer and longer because you will not forgive anyone. What is going on? You're fighting God for his job as judge. Because you say, I know what they did to me. I know what they deserve. And I'm going to continue to rehearse over and over in my heart what I think needs to happen to them until it happens. Because I, you probably don't say this, but this is what you're doing. I am judge. And I hope that sounds uglier because I want it to because I want to lead you to repentance. When you do not forgive, you are not just failing God with your bitterness. You're fighting God for his job as judge. Think about how many times the scriptures say it and they say it in more than one place. Give place to wrath. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will... Here's our problem. I want a front row seat when it happens. I want to see her get it. I want to see him get it. He doesn't promise that. It may not happen until that next life, but he is just. He is just. He is good. Leave it with him. You're fighting God for his job. And oh, by the way, it's, it's ruining your soul, your intimacy with him, and your relationships around you. Do you realize when you are bitter, you carry that bitterness with you into what started off as healthy relationships? Well, I'm just, I'm just unforgiving of my dad. News alert, that will affect your husband, your children, your friends. He is a God. We are not. If you want to hear this good news as good news, you've got to have this reverential awe and fear of God in the right way instead of trying to be God. But let me show you something else 
that's related to this, how can I hear it as good news? Number two, you need to know who to listen to. You want to hear this good news as good news? You need to know who to listen to. Oh, here's another thing about the human heart. I know I'm picking on us today, but hey, I live with me. You think, where do you get these insights? I live with me. News alert, I'm type A, so I'm not bringing this on you guys that are control freaks. That's me. And this whole thing right now is like the human heart loves the spectacular. And we struggle so much with the ordinary. It's why there's amusement parks and it's why there's people like Spielberg and producers and directors and movies and stuff. And we love the spectacular. It's why we like fireworks displays. We love the spectacular and we struggle so much with ordinary. But the longer you live, I hope you start to realize the bulk of life is comprised of ordinary. And the sooner you begin to delight in it, and appreciate it and see the goodness of God in the midst of ordinary, the sooner you'll start enjoying life a whole lot more. Oh, we long for the spectacular. So don't, you say, Brad, what does that have to do with our passage? Let me help you. I don't want you to miss it. Even though our passage has an army of angels and an explosion of light that wakes up the night, The biggest takeaway in our passage is that God comes to most of us in very ordinary ways. You see, what are you talking about, Brad? Well, I want you to notice that while the shepherds got an angel and an explosion of light, everybody else just gets a shepherd. The angel came to the shepherds. The night exploded with light for the shepherds. Everybody else in our passage just gets a shepherd. Look at it in verse 17. And when they, the shepherds, saw it, the angel, the army of angels, the explosion of light that lit up the night, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered At what the shepherds told them. Here's another example. It's all through the Bible. Of how God doesn't think like we do. Right? We'd say, God, do the whole angel explosion thing every time. With everybody. And more people would believe. Nobody's going to listen to a shepherd. That'll never get it done. It's not how God rolls. You say, why, Brad? Here's why. You ready? The power is in the message of the gospel, not the messenger. And all through history, God has been driving this. He does not want you to confuse the power of the message with the messenger. And that's why he delights in using ordinary, 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 weak, flawed It's not the messenger. It's the message. That's why Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The message has power, not the messenger. So God rarely 
makes the spectacular a regular event. Shepherds, shepherds, shepherds. So here's what I want some of you to think about. Because I read books that talk this way and blogs and I even hear people talk this way. I, I can hear it and read it that somehow they think we're at a disadvantage today in 2020. Disadvantage that we don't have more angels and visions and spectacular, miraculous, mind-blowing stuff happening all around us. Oh, more people would believe. They would not. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, he comes stumbling out still wrapped in grave clothes. Did everybody drop to their knees and say, oh my goodness, he is the son of God. It says many believed and others went away discussing how they might kill Jesus and Lazarus. Oh wow, that's how well that went. You just saw a dead person raised from the dead and you're still thinking about how to kill Jesus and the dead person so that he can't tell anybody else he was raised from the dead. That's how hard the human heart is. And it needs the power of the gospel message, not a spectacular messenger. Now, I hope you're making another application here without me having to push it. What does that mean? If you've been thinking, oh, my goodness, God is looking for these spectacular, gifted orators and people that can bring it in an amazing way, that person that walks into the party and like just lights it up, Push that off the table. God today delights in using people just like you. That's how he's going to get it done. He is not sending an army of angels to the mall. He's going to use you. He's going to use you. He's going to use me. Ordinary, ordinary, ordinary. He doesn't just tolerate it. He doesn't just find a workaround. God actually delights in using very Ordinary people to spread this extraordinary message of hope, of hope, of hope. Even, even at some of the most critical junctures in history. You would think he would make an exception for critical junctures, right? All right, ordinary is going to be the norm, but oh my goodness, this is the birth of Jesus. Does that seem like a critical juncture in history? For centuries, we've been waiting for this. It's been prophesied. It's been promised. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He uses shepherds. Shepherds get an angel. Everybody else gets shepherds. And here's what you need to realize if you think, oh, give me a shepherd. They are so cute. In that day, shepherds were considered liars, thieves, and their testimony was useless in court. But God has shepherds running and spreading the message that a Savior is born. Christ the Lord. A Savior is born. Christ the Lord. Resurrection. Critical juncture in history? I think so. Same thing. I've brought it to you at Easter. Women. A handful of women got angels. Everybody else got women who ran And spread the good news. Even though in that day the testimony of a woman was considered useless in court. Our God delights in using the ordinary. To spread this extraordinary message of hope to our world. And so here's my point. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I wish God would speak to me. Speak to me. Speak to me. 
There is a God, and he is not silent. He delights in speaking. He, delight, he wants to speak to you. He does. He does want to speak to you. But you're not likely to get an angel or an explosion of light. You say, well, then what, I, what am I going to get, Brad? What should I look for? What should I anticipate? You ready? Two primary ways that God is communicating his good news to us today. The testimony of an ordinary person in your network of existing relationships. Your spouse might be a Christian and you're not. Your son or daughter, your mother or father, that coworker, a friend at the gym, a neighbor. The testimony of an ordinary person that's in your network of relationships. And secondly, his written word, the Bible. I can see it on your faces. Bummer. These are the two primary ways that God is communicating to us today. The testimony of an ordinary person in your network of relationships and the written word of God, the Bible. But I understand with this whole testimony thing, right? It's easy to reject the testimony because you see flaws in the messenger, right? If you live with an unbeliever, I hear this all the time, how they just scrutinize you and you say, you call yourself a Christian and look, you just got mad. Christians are not sinless. Christians are not perfect. Christians are incredibly flawed. That's why we need a savior. All the way to the end, we'll need a savior. Don't reject the message just because you see flaws in the messenger. You will always see flaws in the messenger, especially if you know them at close range. And that's usually who's talking to you, not a random stranger Examine. Don't scrutinize and examine the messenger. Examine the message. Who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Who Jesus is. As I share on planes and in gyms, one of the number one pushback I get. Somebody has already deeply hurt them in church. Or they had some kind of Christian relatives that grossly disappointed them. And I have to push them past that mess And say, please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Please don't discount and reject Jesus because his followers failed you. The disciples abandoned Jesus. Mark was running with nothing but a linen cloth. And when they grabbed hold of it, he let it go and ran naked. That's that's not, these were pathetic followers. And yet God chose to use them. To begin to spread. You could find flaws in all of them. But the message was life changing. And it still is today. Be careful. Don't reject the message. Because you see flaws in the messenger. Number two. What about the word of God? What about this whole Bible thing? Listen to me. You live in America. You have Access, easy access to multiple excellent English translations that you can both read or listen to on audio. You don't have to go in a bookstore like when I was little and plop down 50, 60, 70 dollars for a nice Bible. You can pull it up for free online. You have incredible access to the Bible. And so here's, here's what I want you to realize. If you're saying, I wish God would speak to me, I wish God would just speak to me. If he would just speak to me. If you're not reading the Bible for yourself, 
And you're saying, I don't know why God doesn't speak to me. You've got nobody to blame but yourself. Because his primary way that he chooses to communicate and speak to us today is his written word, the Bible. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. But here's what I know some of you are thinking. I already tried to read it. I tried. My answer, try again. Because here's what I suspect happened. You ready? It was hard. It was hard. I actually couldn't read it and have the TV going and music going and skim my Twitter and and check out all my social media. I just didn't get anything. No, you won't. It's hard work. I just said that as a pastor that wants you to read your Bible. I think some of you sometimes think he keeps saying you got to read your Bible. How much of it? All of it. Some of it's really hard. You will not just be able to skim your eyes across words with your brain half in gear. And then, oh, by the way, you've got the sinful flesh saying over and over. Think about your work. Think about a meeting. Think about, think about, ah, and your mind is driven. I, when, you, when some of you say, how does Brad get these insights like this? I have to fight to concentrate. I find myself that I've read two paragraphs and I wasn't even thinking about it. I was thinking about, it happened yesterday on the patio. I was thinking about something totally different while I moved through two paragraphs of Jeremiah. And had to go back and start over. I'm your pastor. Doesn't that make you feel better? I was like, I wasn't even thinking about what I was reading. It is hard work. So pick it up and concentrate. Look up words, the definition that you don't understand. And then stay with it long enough. That you begin to have some framework And know and see some of the big themes and how it fits together. See, here's what what you got to realize, you guys. I do believe this is the inspired word of God. It is divine, unlike any other book. But it has to be read in very ordinary ways, just like every other book. When you open the Bible, if you haven't done it yet, let let me prepare you for some disappointment. When you open the Bible... A movie soundtrack, surround sound, doesn't go. And blazing lights don't leap off the pages. It's just there. Just like every other book that I read. And I've got to choose to look down and start and stay with it. And back up and start again when I realize I actually wasn't thinking. I was daydreaming. It's hard work. But so worth it. I finished three, four, five. Well, we went on vacation, so I read four or five books that week. But I finished numbers of books in the last couple of weeks. No book I've ever read has the effect on me and helps me and clarifies things for me and reorients things for me like this book. There's not even a close second, you guys. But it's work. It's work. You have to read it in very ordinary ways. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Think about when you knew nothing about computers. You're like, "Mm, that's now. (laughs) Okay, you know, I got my first computer, a a teacher, a teacher in South Carolina. The school was getting rid of computers, this huge monstrosity. It was an apple with the black screen, the funky letters. I mean, I'm that old. It was like, oh, 
I was constantly tempted to just go back to my typewriter, even though you had to type the whole page over and you put this little white out thing there and go get a key and try to cover up that wrong letter. Oh, time consuming. But guess what? Understanding this computer was just mind boggling. It, it wasn't intuitive for me. It didn't seem to make sense. It was. So think about this. You were tempted to give up and quit. But worse yet, imagine, it came with a manual. Imagine opening your Apple or Microsoft manual and each morning just reading a paragraph for five minutes, sometimes randomly, just jump around to different pages and then expect it all to make sense and fall into place. Look at me. But people do that with the Bible all the time. And then wonder why it makes no sense. You got to read it in ordinary ways like other books. Now, yes, it is 66 books. So you can, you don't have to start at the beginning. If this is new to you or you gave up or you've never tried before, let me guide you. Read the Gospels first because you're starting at the center apex main character. Read Matthew, Mark. Luke, John, and don't jump around. Read straight through Matthew, straight through Mark, straight through Luke. Straight. And see what happens. And, and catch yourself. Is my mind wandering? Am I thinking about something else? And don't be surprised. And don't think it's just not because you're a pastor. If all of a sudden your flesh just says, oh, stop, 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 stop. I have that happen to me. It's hard work. But it's so worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Let me give you thirdly. One more thing I see in this passage that if you want to hear good news as if it really is good news, this has got to be in place. Not just know who you should listen to, but how to listen well. You realize there's listening and there's listening well. You know, what do we usually mean when someone's talking to us and they just keep talking? We say, I hear ya. Here you that, That's code for shut up. You're not really listening well and asking for clarifying. You're just, you're listening. But there's a big difference between listening and listening well. Guess who gives us an incredible example of listening well? She should not be worshipped. We've got some churches that worship her. But oh my goodness, we saw in Luke 1, what an example. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Oh my goodness, I want to follow Mary's heart on that. We got another Mary moment that is worth following in chapter 2. The way she chooses to listen well. Because see, here's what you need to realize. Mary has already had the spectacular, right? Luke 1, she got the angel. Because here's the other thing about us. If we ever taste spectacular even once... Sometimes we decide now it's always got to be that way. It's got to be that way. She doesn't make that mistake. She got an angel. And yet when the shepherds came to her, bringing her the word from the Lord, she didn't say, guys, I've had an angel, okay? Like, didn't you see it on my Instagram? Angel. I don't have to listen to you shepherds, liars, thieves. Get out of here. Not what she did. She'd already had an angel. 
But she didn't expect it to always be spectacular. Look at it. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Two words that capture listening well, what she's doing. That that Greek word for ponder there is a cognitive word that means to think how to put it into context and how to connect it with other things you already understand. How would I put this in context and how would I connect it? That's what I try to do with my Bible when you say, how do you do this, Brad? I slow down. So this, this point number three is something I do secondary after I've read. And I commend it to you. I read what I'm supposed to read for the day. I pause and then I go back and I start skimming back over and say, where's a word that I should chew on? Where's a phrase that I should get a hold of? Where's something I could pray in? How would I put something here into context in my life and connect it with what I already know? It's a little extra work, a little extra time. So worth it. So worth it. Ponder. Ponder. Put it into context. Connect it. What about this word treasure? It's a Greek word. That has to do with emotions or the heart. Because it literally means, this word treasure in the Greek literally means to keep something alive like a fire by feeding it. By feeding it. It means to savor something. Relish it. Roll it over in your mind. Come at it from different angles. Keep looking at it. Keep meditating on it. Keep thinking about it until it becomes alive to you and for you. She pondered. How do I put this in context? Connect it with my life. She treasured. She just kept feeding it, feeding it, feeding it. Keep it alive so that it was real to her. So the first question is, are you reading God's word? Some of you would have to say, I'm not. But even if you say yes, you're still not done. There's a second equally important word. How are you reading God's word? You might need to say, you know what? I'm going to do a restart. I want to read it in a way that I listen well and I can ponder and treasure it. Just add five to seven extra minutes from what you're doing. And just think. When you finish, quote, and you think you're done, you're not done. I'm going to go back and find something to treasure, something to ponder, something to put into context and connect with my life and pray and say, God, I want more of that in me. God, show me more of that about you. And watch if you don't quote, because here's what I say. Here's what I hear so often. I try to read my Bible and I don't get anything out of it. You won't. If you don't do the hard work of concentrating and going that extra step of pondering and treasuring, pondering and treasuring. But as I close now, I want to talk to those of you that might not be Christians. I'm so glad you're here or so glad that you're listening online. But here's what I want you to think about. Verse 10 says that this was good news, great joy for all the people. Praise God, Jesus came into this world and he lived and he died and he rose again. That this offer of salvation and the gospel and forgiveness could go to every single person, regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. There's nobody in a category where this doesn't apply to you. This offer does not go to you. But... 
I want you to notice a sobering verse that maybe you caught it and thought, that's not how Linus reads that every year. Verse 14. Did you hear it when I read it? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The old King James just says, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Like it's automatic. Everybody's getting it. The old King James was not the best translation. And all the newer translations that are drawing upon the best manuscripts that we have have recognized very bad translation. It's not peace, goodwill to men. The verb is worded that it is peace among those with whom he's well pleased. Now stay with me. How would you please God? Don't make a mistake. How would I know I'm in the category of one that he's pleased with? It has nothing to do with anything you're trying to achieve. And everything to do with your willingness to receive Jesus Christ. Because he already pleased God the Father. God is pleased with those who submit and receive the one who's fully pleased him. It's not what you're trying to do or achieve. It's have you received Jesus as your Savior. If so, God is pleased with you forever. You can't lose it because Jesus doesn't change. And then you have this peace that changes how you see yourself, how you see others around you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Submit To Jesus as Lord. Recognizing he is who he says he is. He did what you could never do for yourself. Oh God, thank you for your son. Thank you for a savior. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have broken to history at times with the spectacular. But oh, thank you for giving us your spirit today. That works through ordinary, ordinary, ordinary And we live in a country that's not still waiting for the Bible to be translated in our own language. We've got it in multiple excellent English translations. Oh, God, forgive us for complaining that we're not hearing from you when we're not reading your word. Use your word, not just to inform us, but to transform us. And then use us to share this good news with others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.